Take your Bibles out to the book of Joel. We're going to try to get this finished up tonight. No, we're not going to try. We're going <laughs> to. Hope you brought your supper. Been a blessing to, to go through this. I have learned so much myself. The minor prophets are just a treasure uh, that most times are overlooked, I think, many in, in our reading and, and our study. But uh, I hope that it's been a blessing to you. Tonight is going to be one of the, the better parts because uh, it's been a rough message. It's been kind of tough because when God prophesied concerning Judah, uh, he wasn't fooling around. And, and it, it, it's really, uh, you know, I don't think we really recognize what sin really is. And how much God hates sin. But boy, as you see uh, what he's done here uh, throughout and prophesied throughout the book of Joel, you begin to get the mind of Christ uh, that it is much, much more serious than, than what we think. Let's begin reading verse number 7, or 17 rather, in chapter 3. So shall you know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall no strangers pass through her any more. And it shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drop down new wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters. And a fountain shall come forth of the house of the Lord, and shall water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall be a desolation, and Edom shall be a desolate wilderness. For the violence against the children of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall dwell forever, and Jerusalem from generation to generation. For I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed. For the Lord dwelleth in Zion. Father, help us tonight as we study this passage that you might help us to see how true your word is and, and how you want to bless and that everything that you've said will come to pass. Lord, bless us now as we study in Jesus' name. Amen. He says, so shall you know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then, always remember when he says then, he's getting that, that time factor. In our institute, we covered that so many times. He says then, that's an important word here. Then shall Jerusalem be holy and there shall no strangers pass through her anymore. When? When's he talking about here? He's just talked about the judgment of nations and the battle of Armageddon and casting the Antichrist and the false prophet into the lake of fire and all the lost people in the earth are cast into hell. That all of that is complete. And Jesus then goes to Jerusalem, goes to Zion, and he roars victory to his people, the rest of the folks that are left on this earth, all of the saved. He gives that roar of victory, letting us know that our hope is not in vain. It's in him. 
He is the hope. He is the security. He is the consolation. And all of it, all the, the suffering and everything will have been worth it. We know this because in verse number 16, he said, The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. He said, then they're going to know. So shall you know. Experientially. It's one thing for someone to give you a promise. I'm going to give you $100. Try to collect. <laughs> when you get the money in your hands, it's a different story. Then you, you really believe it. There was maybe some doubts in your mind and things. And no doubt there, there were people in tribulation just like us. They got saved and... All of this, the, the, the mountains falling and the stars falling and the, the tremendous heat seven times hotter. And all of the things that are going on, no doubt as believers, they're standing there and saying, did I make the right choice? Is this really going to work out for me? Even John the Baptist sent his people and said, go, go ask Jesus and make sure. Are you really the one? We have these doubts, and they'll have them in the tribulation. And he's going to give them, shall, you shall know, experiential. They will understand. They will experience. Have they seen all of this come to pass exactly the way God said? And now... As he judged those nations and cast them into hell, they will know he is God in an experiential way. It says it proves I am the Lord your God. They'll have total confidence in him at this point. We, we, it's, it's hard for us to imagine God. It really is. His power. We think of a powerful God. God just spoke and the, and the world, the heavens and the earth was created. He just spoke. He holds the universe in, in, in the palm of his hand, the Bible says. Can you get your mind wrapped around that? I can't. I, I, it, it is unfathomable for my little old pea brain. But if you have seen all of these things come to pass exactly the way God said, you have seen his power. You begin to see his glory, his greatness, his holiness, and how he will not tolerate sin of any kind. Now stop and think. As I begin to think about this, I went back in, in my mind and I'm, I remembered Moses Moses said, God, let me see you. God said, you'll die. He said, I'll just let you see my shadow. And when he saw the shadow, he fell on his face before God. You get these little pups and they, they run around and say, oh, me and Jesus got our own thing going, man. I mean, we, uh, this, this religion stuff is cool. They haven't seen God. All this stuff happened in the world. It, it's, 
that's not, they don't know who God is. Every time you see the man of God, when he comes in the presence of God, he falls on his face. In the book of Revelation, John falls on his face as though dead. Elijah even says, are you for us or with us? He said, I'm the captain of the Lord's host. Immediately, he was on his face before God. Even standing there before burning bush, God says, take off your shoes, for the very place you're standing is holy ground. Do we really understand who God is and how much he hates sin, every sin? Not a little white lie bigger than a great big lie. Both of them are lies. And God hates these things. Israel, when there's the mountain, God was going to give his commandments to him. He starts speaking. And, the, and Moses himself, it says he was, he was quaking in his boots. And they come to Moses and said, we're out of here. We are, we're going back to the camp. If we stay here and listen, we will die. Just the very voice of God. They said, we will die if we stay here. He said, you talk to God. When we talk to God, do we sit there or bow there in a holy reverence, in a fear of God? Or are we so flippant that it's no different than talking to Bill or Bruce? It says he'll be dwelling in Zion. That's where the sacrifice was. That's where his sacrifice for our sins and the sins of the world was made on Zion. And he's going to establish his kingdom there. He's going to start ruling and reigning with a rod of iron. Now notice Jesus hadn't backed off. It's going to be with a rod of iron. My little stick with a rod of iron. Notice he goes on and he says, Then shall Jerusalem be holy. What's the difference? Is Jerusalem not a holy place now? You talk to the, the, the high-class Jews and they'll say it is. It's not. Why? It's full of sin. It's full of wickedness. What changes? The presence of God. When God comes to Jerusalem, when God comes to Zion, he says, then it will be holy. Now you stop and think with me. When the presence of God is in that place, it becomes holy because he is that place. He is that holiness. That's what made that place where Moses was supposed to take off his shoes. The place you're standing is holy ground. Why? God's there. Every place God went, he, it was holy. Now, wait a minute. Does not God live in our heart? 
then that same God that hates sin is going to destroy mankind, the world, and the wickedness therein. If just his presence in Jerusalem, in Zion, makes it holy, how much more should you and I, when we receive Jesus Christ, living in our hearts, become holy? There's no question, uh, you know, is, is it, do I go this far? Do I go this far? No, no, you want to stay as far away from that? You can't. You just be holy. You just draw, you hunker up to God. You come as close to God as you can, you can be. Why? Because when you're there, his presence will make you holy. You see people, they, they look like something drug out of a trash can, you know, and they and they got all the you know, paraphernalia and they look like they've been in a zoo and a freak show and all this and they're walking around with their beer bottle, me and Jesus. No. The Holy Spirit of God will never lead you away from holiness. He will always lead you to holiness. The word of God will never lead you away from holiness. The word of God will always lead you to holiness. And that's why God says, be ye holy, for I am holy. He is trying to conform us to the image of Christ. Not, not like uh, some of these rock stars and some of these athletes and stuff like this. We're supposed to be holy. We're supposed to be separated from the world unto him. His presence makes Jerusalem holy. Is his presence in you. Can anyone see his presence in you? It's one thing for us to say something. Politicians talk all the time. But can you see what they're saying? You can't. You say, well, it's easy. It's easy for those who call themselves Christians too. Holiness is not a thing. It's not an idea. It's not just a teaching or a set of rules. Holiness is is him, is Jesus Christ. His presence should make us holy. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind to may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He's trying to conform us to his image. Notice he says, the lost shall not enter. Have you ever gone back to the Old Testament and read about the temple? I love the temple and all the, I'd love to teach on the temple. Every intricate detail speaks about Jesus Christ in there. But when God comes, 
He comes in the Shekinah glory, the Holy Spirit of God in that cloud and he lands upon that place and the priest, Moses, all of them had to leave. They couldn't even be there. Why? Because of the holiness of God. This privilege that he's given us to allow us to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit is a privilege none of them in the Old Testament had. And he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I hope we don't leave him. The lost will not enter because he's holy. When he goes into the millennial, all lost people are in hell. So only the saved will be allowed, but they still are sinners saved by grace. They're not perfect. And that's why he will rule with a rod of iron. The restoration of Israel, the restoration of Judah rather is what he's talking about here in Joel chapter three and verse 18. And it shall come to pass. In that day that the mountains shall drop down new wine and the hills shall flow with milk and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters and a fountain shall come forth of the house of the Lord and shall water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall be a desolation and Edom shall be a a desolate wilderness for the violence against the children of Judah because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall dwell forever. And Jerusalem from generation to generation. Why? He says in verse 30 or 21, for I will cleanse their blood that have not cleansed. For the Lord dwelleth in Zion. In that day, in verse 18, that day, he's still talking about the day of the Lord. All of this, the tribulation, the, the, the battle of Armageddon, the beginning of the millennial reign, it's all inclusive in that day of the Lord. And that's why he says in that day, in chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, For behold, in those days and in that time, he's talking about the same thing here. When I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. And at this point, Jerusalem is free and Judah is back. There's no question that he's talking about Israel, that Israel turns back to God. Otherwise, they would not be in the millennial. God will restore Judah and establish his millennial kingdom at this point. Why? At this point, you see a reverse of all that he's talked about in chapter 1 and chapter 2. He starts off with a locust and how the locust would come in and they would eat everything. I mean, the bark on the tree, even the people, I mean, everything, just everything's destroyed. Drought, no water, no rain, nothing. I mean, everything is gone. The cattle are gone. There's nothing to sacrifice. There's nothing to drink. There's nothing to eat. When Babylon comes in and they, they ravish the country and they take everybody, those captive, and kill masses of them and, and, and they totally burn the cities. There's nothing left. 
But God says, I'm going to turn things around. The reverse of the destruction, he says, because they're going to drop down like new wine and, and the, the hills will flow with milk and the rivers are going to flow. Everything is restored back. The great grape harvest, the wine is restored, the joy, the pleasure, the harvest. All of that comes with the new wine and the cattle. They come back. They're abundant. Now you have something that you could offer as a sacrifice. The abundant rain, the drought is over. You can drink as much as you want. You can bathe. You, you got water for your crops. You got water for the animals. There's abundant water. But notice this. He said the fountain comes from the house of the Lord. Remember, the temple is going to be rebuilt. It's not still going to be used the same way. There's no need for sacrifice anymore. Jesus Christ was that sacrifice. He doesn't have to be sacrificed again for those in the tribulation. He didn't have to be sacrificed again for those in the millennium. His sacrifice was good once for all forever. Hebrews chapter 9. But the temple will be used for worship. And Israel and the Christians, those will come to worship. Now watch what he says about this. God is going to pour out his blessings from his temple. That worship is restored. Zechariah talks about it in Zechariah 14, 8. And it shall be in that day. That living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea. In summer and winter shall it be. Amos 9.13 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper. Don't even have time to get the crops out. I mean, we're putting in a new crop. I mean, things are growing. You're just sticking the ground. It comes up. And the treader of the grapes, him that soweth seed. And the mountains shall drop down sweet wine, and the hills shall melt. You talk about abundance. You're talking about the blessings of Almighty God that he has wanted all these years to pour out upon mankind. Even the valley of Shittim. The word Shittim there is the word Achaia, the acacia tree. It's known because it, it only grows in dry ground usually. It's, it's dry, barren land. But he said this river is even going to flow into the valley of Shittim. The blessings are everywhere. Like the flowers when the rain comes in the desert. Out there in the middle of the Mojave Desert. I mean, that, you talk about dry. We lived there. That's where I found my honey. Nah, I love her. I rescued the perishing from California, amen. <laughs> Out there in the middle desert, I mean just nothing but sand and sagebrush everywhere. And you think, what in the world can come out here? All of a sudden, you'll get this, this little rain. And I mean that next morning, you talk about beautiful. I mean beautiful flowers everywhere. 
You go out there in Lancaster, out there on, on the, these little old hills there where it's just been desert. And I mean the poppies, the whole, the whole mountain, the whole hill is just red with poppies. God says that's what's going to happen. He says when I restore and, and build the kingdom, he said there's going to be so much blessing that's all going to be. Even the Valley of Shittim is going to be just like a desert with rain that everything grows. The blessings of God are everywhere. John chapter 7 and verse 38 says, He that believeth in me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Hmm. But this spake he of the Spirit. You see, at this point, I believe the final pouring out of the Holy Spirit takes place. As you remember before, we have the prophecy. You had the prophecy that, that Joel was thinking about, which was Babylon. But God said, no, look down further there on that other mountain. I'm fulfilling the prophecy down here called the day of the Lord, the tribulation, the the, the the battle of Armageddon in the millennium. But just as God said, I'm going to go ahead and pour out my spirit, he did so in Acts chapter 2 on his church. But now as the church is gone and the, the, the lost are destroyed and God's going to set up his kingdom, and he said those rivers shall flow everywhere because God promised he was going to pour out his spirit on Israel so that in the millennium those believers will be indwelled I believe with the Holy Spirit of God to lead them to direct them to guide them in his millennial kingdom I believe it's paradise restored. The blessings of God, when you begin to think about it, he says, talks about land of milk and honey. The Holy Spirit is leading and directing. Satan is bound for a thousand years. The Antichrist and false prophet are cast into the lake of fire. Not one lost person is on the earth. Jesus rules and reigns from Jerusalem with the rod of iron. No war. No fighting. Nature is restored. What a kingdom. What a blessing. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 6 speaks to this. It said, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little children shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed, and their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in the holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In verse 19, God's finally poured out his wrath. He's destroyed those who throughout history have persecuted Israel. 
May I say, be careful about rising up against God's people, God's man, God's church, God's nation of Israel. When you go against God, he don't forget. He don't forget. All these people thought they was getting away with it and everything. God said, haven't forgot a bit. And in the tribulation, he's poured out his wrath. Maybe, I don't know, but maybe he leaves Egypt and Edom desolate as a reminder. A reminder to the world and Israel that they're just going to remain desolate, that God's word is true and what God says he will do. Because you've got a thousand years that they're, they're having to live through here. In verse 20, we see Judah and Jerusalem will dwell throughout the millennial. They're not going to be destroyed. Once God has done something, it's done. It's good. It's finished. And in verse 21, this is a proclamation of what is ahead. That God will take the revenge for his people and cleanse their blood by judging and destroying the lost. The disciples are saying, how long? In the New Testament, when is this going to take place? God was telling Judah the same thing. He said, let me give you a little, little hint here. The Lord dwelleth in Zion. You have God's word on it. I will punish the lost. I will avenge your blood. The suffering and all the persecution that you've gone through, I haven't forgotten it at all. It will come to pass. Now Joshua says in Joshua chapter 23 and verse 14, and I behold this day, I'm going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls. Now listen to this. This is what kept me on the mission field. This verse right here. People think, well, it's a piece of cake over there. Not when the bullets start flying. Not when they're going to take you to prison. We can tell you stories for hours and make your toes curl. This verse kept me on the mission field. That not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you. And not one thing hath failed thereof. Matthew 28 and verse 20, he says, And I will be with you always, even to Uganda. I know that promise is to Israel, but that promise is to me too, God. And I claimed that promise many times. Not one thing that God has said in this book has failed. Not one. Not one promise that he has made has not come to pass. You and I can trust God. 
we have him living in our hearts. He's given us eternal life. We don't have to fear when we go out and pass out tracts. We don't have to fear other people. We just simply have to keep doing what God said and leave it up to him. Not one thing hath failed there of verse 15. Therefore, it shall come to pass that as all good things are come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so shall the Lord bring upon you all evil things. That was a warning to me. You see, nobody else over there knows what time I get up out of bed. I can write a prayer letter and they don't know when I get up, when I go to bed, what I do during the day. You know, you can write flaming prayer letters and nobody really knows the difference. But God knows. And God says, not one of my good things will fail. But he said, I want you to know something. Not one of the things I promise about judgment of those bad things will fail either. God's promise is sure. Until I have destroyed you from all of this good land which the Lord your God hath given you, when you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed yourselves to them, then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and ye shall perish quickly from off the good land which, the, which he hath given unto you. If you want to look it up later, I don't have time tonight, but Isaiah chapter 4 and verse number 4. Boy, that'll open your eyes. It will. So what am I saying? God's word is true. Like Judah, we can choose either the blessings of God or we can choose the wrath of God. It's up to us. It's what he, that's what he's telling the people. This is what God has said I'm going to do. If you will repent, he says, it's good. But if not, judgment's coming. The choice is ours whether we receive God's blessings or God's wrath. We can bring people to Christ or we can let them face destruction. But God's given us a command to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I don't know why some of you don't surrender to missions. I wish I could go back. I'd jump on a plane tonight. But I can't. But some of you could. And God didn't change his command. He says, go ye into all the world. Are you afraid he won't take care of you? What did we just read? He's going to bless. And he says, I'll take care of you anywhere. And my promises to you are just like the promises of Israel. Not one thing will fail. Not one. So what's the Lord's message to us? It's really the same exact message that he gives in the three parables in the gospel. In Matthew 25, you don't have to look there. The parable of the ten virgins. The parable of the talents. And the sheep and the goat judgment. In each one, there's a sudden appearance. 
of the master that catches the people by surprise. None of them knew. In each, there's a separation. You have the five wise and the five foolish. You have the one that used their master's talents wisely, and you have the other one that used them foolishly. And then you have the sheep and the goats. So the sudden appearance and the separation and then the utter surprise by those that received the punishment. You see, the five foolish were surprised why he wouldn't let them in. They thought they should have gone in. They should have thought they deserved that. The wicked steward was surprised that his master wasn't satisfied with his lack of performance. You should be paying me. You should be proud or you should rejoice that I'm on your team. And the goats asked Jesus, Lord, when did we see thee hungry and thirsty and stranger and needing clothes or sick and in prison? They were shocked. They were surprised that they weren't going to be let in, that they were going to be judged. What's he saying? Are we ready? Are we ready? Is it going to take us by surprise, the sudden appearance of the Lord as Christians? Is it going to, going to separate us in the way we didn't think we were going to be separated? Are we going to be surprised that we're not the ones going in? We're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of everything we've done in the body. Everything. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, understanding who God is. What do we do? Look to ourselves? No. We persuade men. We bring other people to Christ. Now listen. Joel, chapter 1, and verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. So it wasn't Joel's word, it wasn't my word. This has been God's word. And you and I must yield ourselves him we need revival I mean real revival I'm not talking about that singing and shouting and acting like a bunch of heathen honestly I thought I had I, I watched video I thought that I was in an African village where they know nothing about God it sounded the same it looked the same and over in Africa you, you know Satanic. Here they call it revival in America. We don't know God. But we better get a hold of who he is. Father, what a book. What a warning to Judah and to us. 
What an exciting thing to know that your word is true and you will perform every jot and every tittle of your word. Now, Father, I pray, I pray that for every one of us in this building tonight and those listening by live stream, that we might get serious about God, that we'd get on our face, get on our knees, sit in a chair, whatever we need to do, whatever. I know some of the older folks can't get down on their knees, but they can come sit in a chair. And that we might start getting serious with you and just take a few moments and say, Oh God, I want to know you as I never have before. I want to be ready for your coming. I don't want to be surprised. I don't want to be a, a sudden appearance or, or to be separated in the wrong way. And I don't want to be utterly surprised. And God, I want to be ready. Father, nobody's going to coerce anyone. Lord, I pray that you'll have your way in all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me quickly as the pianist just begins to play? If God spoke into your heart, maybe you need to come. Just sit down on these benches on the front, these chairs. Come to the altar, kneel down, whatever. But we've got to get serious about God.